Hey guys, this is Phil. This is Division Podcast, and we're glad you're joining us today. You're about to hear a message on courageous mothers in the Bible. And so I just encourage you to tune your heart in. Man, there was such a sweet presence of God in the service Sunday, and so we're excited to get to share this message with you. So enjoy the podcast. We love you. Man, I just love God so much. So thankful. Thank you, Rebecca. Hey, would you turn in your Bible over to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. We're going to get into the Word this morning and preach the Word of God. Yeah, because that's the best message I've ever heard is the Word of God. Last week, um, we began to talk about fighting the good fight of faith. Heard a person say, well, I'm going to fight the devil. You really shouldn't because Jesus already did. And he already won. He won the fight that he fought. And so he fought in your place so that you didn't have to. So that you could stand behind your father and say, yeah, what he said. To your enemy, right? Because we had too many people trying to fight the devil when the only fight that we're called to fight is the fight of faith. Can I get an amen from somebody? Yeah. See, that's the fight that we're called to fight is the fight of faith. And 1 Timothy talks about that. It says fight the good fight of faith, right? So Jesus was our substitute. So that's our fight, right? And so in order to fight the good fight of faith, you have to have some courageous faith. And so this morning on Mother's Day, I want us to talk a little bit about some mothers who had courageous faith. So there in Luke chapter one, let's look at the first mother here, which is Mary. Mary was Jesus' mother, no small task there, right? (laughs) And there was an angel that came to Mary and the angel, he appeared to her and he said, He said, blessed are you, you're favored of God, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to be called the Son of God. Whoa. And so Mary hears this and she asks a question. She says, well, um, how's this going to happen? Because I don't know a man. I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. Now, Zacharias, he asked a similar question. He said, how can this be? Because I'm an old man. The, the difference is, is when he asked his question, he asked it in doubt and unbelief. Mary asked in faith, how is this going to happen? And so what happened was Zacharias became mute until his son was born. And then he got his vocal cords back. Mary, on the other hand, she asked a good question. How is this? How are you going to do this? And he said, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. The power of God is going to come upon you and you will become pregnant with the Son of God. And Mary, in verse 38, she responds to this by saying, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to to your word. Now, this is interesting. You remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray? He said, he said, this is how you need to pray. You need to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, 
I want to make a statement. His kingdom can't come until someone is fulfilling his will. Let me say it again. Let me say it the way I wrote it. We experience his kingdom after we completely surrender to his will. See, you can't have his kingdom without his will being done. His will is only done through you and I surrendering to his will. That's how God's will gets accomplished on this earth is he works through people, people who are surrendered to him. And so if we want to experience his kingdom in our life like Mary did, there's a common thread that you're about to see is that she surrendered her will to his. She surrendered to his will when she knew this could mean I will be ostracized from my family. I will be shamed by people because I've become pregnant outside of wedlock. This could get me stoned. She didn't consider these things. She considered one thing, which was, God, I'm going to align my life with your will and your plan. And so if I align my life with your will, then in that is your protection, in that is your purpose and your plan for my life. Too often, people just make decisions without surrendering their will to his plan for their life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever really just sat down and got, maybe got on your knees, got in your quiet place, wherever that is, and said, God, what is your will for my life? I think some people take this a little, uh, maybe misunderstand it a little, because they begin to ask God about every little detail. And it's like they can't make a decision when God has given you the ability a mind to think and the ability to make decisions. And here's what I discovered about God is that I can't mess anything up to the degree that he can't fix it. That's good news. Why? That takes the pressure off of me. <laughs> Let me take it a little farther. There's, there's nothing that I can say that God can't repair in your ears. Now, I'm not saying my purpose is not to offend people. My purpose is to bring the word of God and to bring truth. That's not, I'm not here to make mistakes and to say things wrong. But I love that about God. He's so gracious to us. And he's so amazing. And so, I want to look at a couple of other wives or uh, mothers, though. And this may seem a little different. So, I want you to turn over to Exodus chapter 1. This is really interesting. Exodus chapter 1. Now, Pharaoh is ruling at this point. And you remember the Israelites, they had gone to Egypt. What did I say? Sorry. Pharaoh is ruling Egypt. Did I say Israel? Okay, good. I just heard it in my mind, I guess. So, see? There you go. God fixed it. Um, <laughs> so, so, he's ruling. And... But he has a problem because all of these Israelites who went there, you remember when they went there, there was a famine in the land, Joseph saved the house of Israel, and they all went there. Now, this is much later. And now, all, all of that generation, Joseph's generation, all the brothers, they've all died, and they've all gone away. Another Pharaoh has come into power, and he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember what's going on. All he knows is there is a lot of Israelites running around, and they are multiplying. And he said, if we don't do something, they're going to take over the land, or they're going to fight against us, and then, or they'll leave. They'll just up and leave, and we need them. And so they turn them all into slaves, right? 
And so this is what's going on at this time. And so because there were so many of them, he wanted to figure out a way to stop production. Slow it down. You guys are having too many babies. And so he called the midwives to himself in verse 16, and he said to the midwives, he said, when you are performing the duties of the midwife, he said, for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Now, this sounds interesting. This is the same spirit that was in Herod, to kill all the firstborn. This is the same spirit that got into Hitler to destroy all the Jews. This is the same spirit that's in our land today to kill every baby that people don't want or is an inconvenience. Big amen there. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but they saved the male children alive. And so they're saving these babies. And then it says in verse 22, that Pharaoh gave the order to all his people to throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So now he's telling everyone because the midwives won't do it. The midwives disobeyed Pharaoh because they feared God, right? So I wanna make a statement today because I believe I'm looking at a bunch of courageous mothers and I'm looking at a bunch of courageous Christians in here this morning. There is a right time to disobey authority. There is a right time to disobey authority and this is that time. Now, let me give you a filter that really helped me that, that maybe you can filter this through and this will help you in, in discerning when is the right time to disobey authority? And when is the right time to obey? And, 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 it's a, and it's this. Is it principle or is it preference? Principle is a line that I don't cross. I don't, I don't go over there. No. You want me to lie? I don't lie. You want me to murder? I don't murder. That was murder. The midwives were drawing a line and they said no. We don't murder children. And God blessed them. You can read in there that God blessed the midwives for that. Um, and so principle is a definitive line. Preference is color on the wall. Preference doesn't matter. It's you like it this way, I like it this way. It's you like this style, I like this style. You like that color, I like this color. You like this music, I like this music. Okay, that's all preference. But if it's principle... We don't cross on principle. I remember I was faced with a decision when uh, this whole COVID thing started. And the mayor of Springdale, Mayor, mayor Sprouse, pulled all the pastors together. He called us all together and he said, hey, uh, and it was very interesting because we got down on our knees literally and we prayed for 15 minutes over it first. And I thought, this is good. And then when we got done praying, Mayor Sprouse said, I... I'm not going to jurisdict this. I'm not going to mandate that you guys have to do anything. He said, but what I am asking you to do is would you give me just four weeks? They've, they've told us that, that if we, that if we uh, shut down for just four weeks, then we can, you remember that, what is it? Flatten the curve, thank you. Yeah. Okay, I, I purposely forget things I don't want to remember. And, 
Anyway, so, so, so he told us that, and I thought, in my heart, I'm discerning in my heart, and I felt like, you know, he's not dictating it, he's not mandating it, he, he's asking nicely, and he's not requiring it. I thought, we'll give him four weeks. And so we did, and then at the end of four weeks, we realized, looking at everything, if we don't come back, we won't be back for a long time. And I called our, I called, called our landlord, God gave us favor, and I said, we're not shutting down again. Why? Because it's a principle now. At first, I was doing it to be a blessing, but now it's a principle. And I'm telling you, even now, if that tried to happen, we'll be meeting outside somewhere in a field, maybe in my backyard. We'll do something, but we're not going to shut down again. All right. Amen. Okay. Now let's look at another place. First Kings 17. First Kings 17. <clears throat> and I'm actually going to read it to you out of the NLT. I'm turning over there, but I now this is, uh, this is Elijah. This is another mother. Elijah is, this, there's a famine in the land and there's a famine because God told him to, to pray that there would be a famine. And he said, it's only going to rain at your word, but God had not given him the word to pray. And so uh, Elijah has been sent to this area and, and it says in verse nine, the Lord spoke to Elijah of first Kings 17 and in verse 9 he said go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon I have instructed a widow to feed you there so that sounds like a plan and so he went to Zarephath and as he arrived at the gates of the village he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her would you please bring me a little water in a cup and as she was going to get it he said will you bring me a bite of bread too. But she answered, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Now this is interesting because it said I have instructed a widow to feed you there. So Elijah's going, okay, wait a minute. I, you know, I, got, I just got here and you don't have any food. You're supposed to take care of me. What's going on? And so she shares this with him in verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We've been in different situations and and I remember actually saying out loud in one particular situation to my wife, I refuse to fear. I refuse to fear. This is a decision that we make. Because this is, you want to talk about pandemic, this is a famine. Nobody has any food. They barely have any water. And here she says this to him. And he says, the very first thing he says is, don't be afraid. He said, go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Now, if I stopped reading right there, that would be on every newsreel 
here currently in this day, in this time. Evangelist takes widow's last meal. But we got to keep reading. In verse 14, it says this, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always, say the word always, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. There will always be provision. Wow. And then in verse 15, it says, so she did as Elijah said. She went out and did what Elijah told her to do. And she and Elijah and her family, now remember, God said go and live there. So Elijah's not visiting, he's living here. So these are regular meals. And it says that she, Elijah, her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough. Say always enough. There was always enough flour and oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised Elijah. So I want to submit something to you. God's plan mixed with faith, mixed with seed, equals more than enough. Can I say that again? God's plan with his faith, with our faith, and seed, plenty of provision, enough. All right, Not look, let's, let's look at another one, 2 Kings. Turn over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter four. Man, that's a courageous mom. Sometimes courage is taking your last meal and giving it to the man of God because you have a word from God. Courage is believing what the word of God says even when your circumstances are putting so much pressure on you that you want to give it all up. You just want to cave to the pressure. But if you have a promise from God, the fight of faith is to stand on the promise. That's the fight of faith. Staying on the promise. Staying with the promise. Regardless of what it looks like. All of us have been there. All of us have experienced different situations and circumstances that we've had to walk through. But when you have a promise from God, when you take the time to look at the scriptures, this is why Wednesday night is a great idea for everybody in here. Midweek. Midweek. They'll give you the address at the how can we help you table. But it's Wednesday nights at 6.30. We're going into the word of God and we're getting deep in it. So if you want to go deeper in the word of God, I'm telling you, that'd be a great place for you to be if you can come. But when we get into the word, when we're faced with an issue, do we just run, run to the phone, run to YouTube, run to our neighbor, or do we stop and do we pray? And then do we open our Bible and say, God, I need a word from heaven. I need to know what to do in this situation. Because then you have something to put your faith on. Your faith has to have a firm foundation to rest on. Amen? 
So when you have a word of God, when you have a scripture that you can stand on, now you've got something to put your faith in. Well, Phil, you don't understand. This has been in my family for generations. No, you don't understand the price that Jesus paid on the cross because he became a curse. He became a curse. Do you know what that means? That broke every curse, every family history curse that you could possibly have. Jesus broke that. All at once on the cross. So that means that you're free. So you don't have to go back and try and get free and go back in your history and, oh, we got to pull up this and we need to look at this. And you know what? I don't think, no, Jesus' blood remitted it. He took care of it. He broke every curse. That's why, that's why that scripture says he became a curse. Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Remember the snake that Moses put on the stick? They looked at the snake. Why were they healed when they looked at the snake? Because the snake was cursed. They were dying from snake bites. All right, 2 Kings. Look at verse, look at verse one. So it says, there was a certain woman and the wives of the sons of the prophet. And she cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared God. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. That's a crisis. And so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have? Think about that. What do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing. I'm going to stop there for a minute. What do you have? When you get into a crisis, the Holy Spirit sometimes will be asking you, what do you have? It's time for some seed finding so that you can sow seed. He said, what do you have? And notice she said, I have nothing except. I have nothing but. Oh, come on. We... (laughs) Sometimes we depreciate what we have so much that it feels like we have nothing. But she had something. It said that she had nothing but a jar of oil. Well, how many of you know nothing with a but is something? Right? I mean, nothing. I have nothing but. No, you have something. Okay. I don't want to belabor that point. Verse three, then he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And then he says, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into the vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said to her, Go sell the oil, pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. God's plan, your faith, seed in your hand. Plenty to live on. Plenty left over. God's plan, your faith, your seed. 
harvest. Amen. Supply always begins with what you have. What you have. I heard a testimony. I've shared this before, but I heard a testimony about this mom who was grabbing a hold of of some of these things, and she was learning about seed time and harvest. And her daughter came to her, and she said, Mom, I really want to have a bike. And she had a picture of the bike. She found it in a catalog, and she said, I really want this bike. And her mom started to say, well, sweetheart, you know, we can't. And she stopped herself. And she said, well, let me ask you, sweetheart, what do you have in your closet? What kind of toys do you have, do you have that we could sow as a seed for your bike? And so her daughter went to her closet and she began to find these toys that she could give away and she could sow as seed. And so she gave those toys away. Do you know what happened? A check came in the mail for the girl. Not the mom, the little girl. And it was enough money to not only buy the bicycle, but she got the little, what's the little things off the handlebar that flow in the wind? The little tassels and the little ting, 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 you know, and she got her helmet and she got her, she was able to get, why? She sowed seed. This is a, this is a, this is a Bible thing. I'm, I'm not preaching this to you so that you can find out what you can get in life. I'm trying to get a principle into your hand because this works in every single area. It works when you're sick. It works when you're in crisis. It works when things are not going well. This always works. Glory to God. So need should cause you to always ask, what do I have? What do I have? What can I sow into others? Dodie Osteen's story impacted my life. She wrote a book on her testimony. She's John Osteen's mom. She had been given a diagnosis of metastatic cancer of the liver three weeks, sent home to die four weeks before Christmas. So she goes home and God dealt with her about sowing seed. And you know what she began to do? She always did the hospital visitation but her body, because of this cancer, was getting very weak. And she went back to the hospital to continue to do hospital visitation because she said, what better way for me to get healed than to sow the seed of healing into other people? Oh, that's a powerful statement right there. And you know what? She said, one time it took me an hour and a half to get to the hospital room because she was so exhausted Walking from her car, she couldn't make it into the hospital. She had to sit down on a bench and rest for a while. And then she got into the hospital. She'd sit down and rest. Hour and a half later, she's in the person's room now praying and believing in faith. How many of you feel like you could naturally believe in faith for somebody else in that condition? But she did it. She made a quality decision. She did it. Do you know now, all of these years later, she is cancer free. The Lord healed her over time. It wasn't an instantaneous healing. It took more than a year for that healing to manifest. Let me ask you a question. Is it worth going after? If you know that God will do it, why not go after it? And don't put a time frame on it. Don't, don't put a limit on God. Man, amen. All right, let's look at, let's look at a couple others. And then I'm going to wrap up. 2 Corinthians 4, you're still there? Let's read the next verse. In verse 8, it says, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, and there was a notable woman there. 
And she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there and eat some food. Oh, I like a good meal, especially from a good mom. And uh, she said to her husband, look now, I know that this man is holy from God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room uh, on the wall and let us put a bed in there and a table and a chair and a lampstand and it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day when he came there and he turned into the upper room and he laid down there that he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. There's a, there's, a, there's a biblical principle that's going on right here, and it's found in Proverbs 11.25. It says, a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. All right. And so he says, what can I do for you? So now... She hasn't asked the man of God for anything. She hasn't asked God for anything. But he's saying, what can I do for you? He wants to bless her. And Gehazi answered, he said, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. Then he said, about this time next year, Rebecca, come help me. About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived, bore a son, when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. She didn't even ask for a son, but she was thankful. She received the son. And he came. Look at verse 18. It says, the child grew. And now it happened on that day that he went out to his father, the reapers. And he said... To his father, my head, my head. So he said to the servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He sat on her knees until noon and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And so she departed and went to the man of God on Mount Carmel. And so it was, when the man of God saw her from afar, he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run and to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. And sometimes we need to curb our mouth when we're believing God for a miracle. Why would she say it is well? Is it well? Her son's dead. That's not well. I remember when my mom was in the hospital after she experienced a massive heart attack. My dad and I determined to close our mouths. Because sometimes you can say things that you shouldn't be saying, right? So she says it as well. And then, uh, <clears throat> then she says this in verse 27. Now, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for, sh for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. 
And she said to him, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I say, do not deceive me? She's saying, I didn't ask for a son. You gave him to me. It was because of you. God gave him to me. Now, before I go any farther, I want to I make a statement. Courageous women, courageous mothers are resurrection-minded. Resurrection-minded. What do I mean by that? We talked about this Wednesday. This is part of the reason that Wednesdays are so important um, to come to is one of the main things that came out that really ministered to me was the difference between resurrection Christianity and cross Christianity. See, remember, remember weeks ago when I talked about the, the tabernacle and I talked about that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the entrance to the tabernacle was the way. The entrance into the holy place was the truth. And into the holy of holies, that curtain is called the life because the life of God was in the holy of holies. The truth is found in that inner part. And then the outer part is the way. Most people stop at the way. They get to the cross and they find out, I have forgiveness of sins. Woohoo! And this is where theology comes from, where it says, I'm, a, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You can't be that and the righteousness of God in Christ. But righteousness comes from a resurrection mindset. Resurrection Christianity is that you find out who you really are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what that means? That means God looks at you and he says, I find no fault in you. Do you know my wife said that to me once? You want to talk about a humbling experience? Brought tears to my eyes. She said, honey, I find no fault in you. Believe me, there's plenty. There was, there was plenty. But thank God for the cross. And thank God that he didn't stay on the cross. But he came off of that cross. He went to hell. He took back the keys. Oh, death, hell, and the grave. And now he ascended on high. And we serve a resurrected Jesus, not just a crucified Jesus. But so many people stop. So many people stop at the cross. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. And, and that's why we have turned inward. We have turned to medical science. And we don't even believe God for miracles anymore. I've been overseas. I've been to developing nations. And I've seen miracles with my own eyes. How does that happen? Why is it different? We've put our faith something else so look what happens I needed to I needed to say that before we went any further because it, you say Phil give me scripture for that okay Romans 425 you need to go and read it because we man we went we got deep in Romans chapter 4 last week on Wednesday night it's so good wow we need to pass the way of the truth and enter into the life amen 
All right, so let's read the rest of this, verse 29. It says, then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready, take my staff in your hand and go on your way. And if anyone meets you, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. Isn't that interesting? He says, no, don't talk to anyone. Don't look at anyone. Don't engage anyone. You take my staff and you go right in there. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Man, courageous moms, courageous faith in moms. They're tenacious, man. And so he arose and he followed her. Now Gehazi went ahead of him. He laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him, and he told him, the child is not awakened. Then Elisha came into the house, and there was the child lying on his bed. And he went, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. And he went up, and he lay on the child, and he put his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm and he returned and walked back and forth in the house I was encouraged by this walking because I always walk back and forth when I pray and I was like thank you God there it is right in the word okay sorry and then he walked back and forth in the house and again he went up and he stretched himself out on him and then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes then he said call the Shunammite woman and he called her. And when he called her, she came in and he said, pick up your son. And so she went and fell at his feet, bowed down to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. God's plan, our faith, see, pick up your son. And we talked last week a little bit about making making a mountain out of a molehill beginning to see something that in God's eyes is nothing for him to overcome but we turn it into this great Everest thing and we see impossibility when we look at the mountain and you want to know part of the, the reason why is because we're not looking at it through the eyes of our resurrected father resurrected Jesus oh man that's why he died this is why he came and what I'm calling you to this morning is to the same courageous faith that these mothers had that they were not willing to abandon their faith but they were willing to stand firm Remember Jesus, he prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would remain firm. See, everybody talks about Peter denying Jesus, but very few people talk about Peter after that, after he got right with God because you see him firm in the faith the rest of his life. Firm faith. What is firm faith? I am not willing to bend. I'm not willing to bend on what the Word of God has promised those who believe. But we've got to be believers. We've got to be the kind of Christians that believe, that we don't hope, just hope, well, it'll be a miracle. 
I heard, heard some business guys facing a, a, a situation in their business and one of them looked at the other and he said, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. And the other businessman looked at him and he said, dear God, has it come to that? I thought, okay, this is not going to get better. Why? There's no faith. What did Jesus say when the storm was going on in the boat and they woke him up? And he said, where is your faith? Why is he saying that? Because he said, you, you didn't have to wake me up. You guys could have dealt with this. You could have looked at the storm, pointed at it, and said in Jesus' name, peace, be still. I was in Austin, Texas. In Texas, you get a lot of, a lot of hell. Am I right, Lisa? And uh, we get a lot of hell in the Austin area. And I remember I was in my house and I was asleep. It was the middle of the night. And at that time, we had an Airedale Terrier. He was a big dog. And he put, he, he got up on the bed and put his paws on the bed, which he never did that. And he was whining. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then he started to, to nestle his way under our bed. And he's a big dog, so the bed's moving. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And instantly, hail started. And it started hitting our window. We had this bay window in our bedroom, and it just, it was. And I had just helped a friend of mine um, board up his house because all of his windows were blown out by hail. And I remember, because our feet were freezing, you know, we were trying to hammer these, these wood panels up. And so all that's happening. So I run downstairs and I flip on the light so I could actually see what's going on. And the whole back of our house that hail is hitting is, is mostly glass. We had these huge windows. And I remember the Holy Spirit said, speak to it. And what came to me was what Jesus said, peace, be still. And I did. I mustered my courage and I looked at it and I said, in Jesus' name, peace, be still. Do you know what happened? It was like somebody turned a faucet off. And I said, oh, okay, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why do we struggle with this, guys? Why do Christians, why do Christians struggle with this? Believe in God. Believing that he's not only able, but he will do it for you. All right, I, I want to pray this morning. Can, can you stand up with me? Yeah, Chris, go ahead and dim the lights a little bit. Thank you. Appreciate Chris. He's so sensitive to God. So... close your eyes would you begin to pray <clears throat> if you if you know how to pray in the spirit begin to pray in the spirit let's begin to pray right now thank you jesus